I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I've had some tension in my general body for the last few days. Oh dear. I don't know why. I'm apparently anxious about something, but I can't figure it out. Um, how are you? I'm <laughs> much better than that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'm s- sorry about that. That's terrible. Yeah, it's fine. I'll, just, I'll say I'll have a warm bath uh, later on. I, ha- no, I, I now have two Monstera plants to look after ah. um thank you graham he, he decided to um to introduce the world of plants to my flat so i now have a total of four i've got a, a wandering jew which is it turns out that's the actual name i thought it was an insult but no it's not it's the name of the right plant. no yeah something's got named yes <laughs> and uh, it's kind of trails down the side of my my uh, kitchen cabinets then i've got this plant which seems to be one of those just you you put it in a pot and you sit it there and you water it once a week and it's fine it literally just goes on forever to the extent it is called a forever plant and that was from my neighbor so uh so that's sitting on my table right a forever plant that's nice and i've got these two giant monstera things which again look great but see when they get to full size that's gonna be that's gonna be a problem but i think this is like the first stage of you know testing if i can look after things yeah because you know children's kind of out the question but plants i can do Animals? I gotta maybe. I gotta be honest. Animal easier than plant for me. How? Because plant doesn't remind you that it's hungry. But the plant, the plant does not like make noises in the podcast recording and climb all over you. When plant hungry and dying, plant doesn't go. Hey, I'm hungry and dying. That's <laughs> <laughs> a valid point, but it's also I don't have to take this monstera for walks. It just sits there. I I have to rotate it every so often. Oh, yeah, that means you're a cat person. I know. I don't think so. I think. I mean, I would if it's not. It's the walks that are the deal. Breaker. No, 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 no. I'm just. I'm. I'm comparing the 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 easiness of plants compared to the. I mean, fish. May, uh, maybe, but the thing is, I don't think I would get an animal in this current flat. It's just. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be fair, on either the the animal and also my neighbors. So, you know, I get again. Let's fast forward a few years. I totally get a dog. Not a. Great Dane or a St. Bernard's, but something small and easy and like a Monstera to look after. Not, no, like medium, not 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 small isn't easy. People get this in their head. There's, I don't know what what breeds of dog are small and easy. Well, so so I'm not I'm not going as small as like pug or yeah, you know yeah. French bulldog. Absolutely not. Right, yeah, okay. but not also not a Labrador. Yeah, you know that's yeah. that's I follow, too big. I follow. I follow. So something in between the two of those would be absolutely ideal. But no, that's again is some way off. But I, I do think, and I've thought about this more and more, that when I eventually get somewhere a little bit bigger, perhaps with a, some outdoor space that is not shared with 159 other properties, right? Yeah. Then I get a dog. Nice. But we'll see. It's one. It's a thing to look forward to the progression through the classes. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, it's the next best thing to having kids. You're like, right? Do, do I slash can I have kids? No. Can I have a dog? Yes, I can. Uh-huh. And I will be that dog's father. Yes. <laughs> and, and I mean, the pros and cons. You have to take the dog everywhere, and if you don't, you have to pay lots of money and put it in a kennel, and it gets very sad. I always find this funny how. <laughs> Same with kids. Yeah, people will be like so anti-pet because you have to house them when you go away. As but they'll be very pro-child, <laughs> as though you don't have to do that for a kid. I mean, I'm sure there must be a service somewhere for very rich people who want to go away well, somewhere nannying. but don't want to take the kids with them and say, "Hey, right, kids, you're off to this kennel called called a nanny." But, yeah, people call that grandparents usually, but <laughs> if the grandparents isn't an option, then it's like yeah. 
get a perma perma house sitter in for a bit. If only we had that amount of money. Tell you what, James, just before we start talking of money, oh. I did my self-assessed taxes this week. Oh boy, yeah, well done. And my goodness, I owe HMRC two and a half grand. <laughs> I could actually calculate exactly how much you made based off that knowledge. Yes, you can. And I, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I, it turns out that this money is due at the end of January, I yeah, think. Yeah, you've got a wee while still, but... This is why you do it as soon as you can, so you can pay it over a whole year. I have, well, see, I know that now, yeah. but I bought a property and I don't have that money. So um, I'm either going to uh, call HMRC and basically, you know, turn on the amateur theatrics and, and beg them to let me spread over a few months with interest, which is fine. Yeah. Or just just see what I can do. Maybe sell something on the black market. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, I, you know, play some stocks and see if I get lucky. Something like that. So yeah, no, just gamble everything you've got and hope for the best. That's a good tax system. Um, I can't really offer advice. No, I, th- I think there might be a way for them to like spread the tax payments over over my actual contracted salary. Yeah, you can. So that I get I get taxed more, but I don't have to pay two and a half grand in one go because that's disgusting. Yeah, you can you can chat to them. They're they're pretty flexible with how you pay things. So it's worth giving a call and being like, hey, oh, I actually can't pay this in time. Can we can we talk about a different method? <laughs> Same with like council tax and stuff like that. Yeah. You might get a 10% charge if you really mess up, but it's not that bad. Uh, and to be honest as well, th- th- when I see these stories in the past, or I saw these stories in the past of, you know, Amazon and Starbucks avoiding paying any tax, and then I have to pay two and a half grand. It just makes me more angry at the big companies. Yeah. And and President Trump. Yeah, we know that you're paying more tax than Trumpo did. You're paying more tax than a lot of big corporations do. It's How horrible. It it's abs- you know, genuinely, I think the, the main issue was that I had vastly underestimated how much I made from freelance stuff last year. Yeah. I thought I thought it was maybe <laughs> less than half of what I actually ended up um, calculating and just when I was adding up some of the invoices I hadn't, I hadn't even got through half of them and I was already at a an eye-watering amount and I thought oh no this is this is bad I don't have it I've not done what wise people like Izzy do and yeah. have like a second account in Upwork where they can just like put all their oh here's my tax money that I have to pay off in one giant sum at the end of the year I didn't think of that I just thought it's fine, I'll deal with it at a, at a later point yeah, yeah, you've got to have your second account that you just ship Shit half of your income into a second account. I know that now. All the time. Never spend it. No, you're, you'll be fine. I, I don't don't worry about it. You, you'll be okay. It, it's just good that you want to pay a tax. I, you, you, I, I, being in an industry on the side of a bunch of people who are technically freelance, technically sole, con, sole traders, there's maybe, I think, I think less than 10% of them honestly try to pay their taxes right and don't overclaim on expenses and don't listen that in the next very few people actually put the effort in to do the morally right thing which is contributing to the society that has allowed us to exist as we exist yeah and most of them try to find ways to keep their money perpetually somewhere that is not taxable but also out of reach and i don't get it why would you want your money to not be able to not be spendable just so you have to pay less taxes now. I'm also just not smart enough to know how to do that. You know, I'm con- I'm constantly amazed as to the people who, you know, usually very rich celebrities who sign up for these tax avoidance schemes 
and managed to avoid paying any tax or a very, very small sum. Like, how'd you do that? I don't know. I just looked at the form. I was like, hey, yeah. fill in how much money you made in this bit and fill out how much expenses you took in this bit and there's there's your tax. Well, hey, presto. The easy way is to, rather than setting up as a sole trader, set yourself up as a business where you're an employee with a salary or you're an owner with a salary and then salary yourself. You get paid oh. on the salary, but you don't get paid on anything that you any of the profits beyond that interesting um, and t- at the same level so do you take advantage of corporate tax instead of your your normal tax okay well maybe that's one for future Colin anyway welcome to the yeah. show this is Seesaw Parade episode 228 where we dole out financial yeah. advice yeah don't don't listen to me unless it, you're listening to the part where I'm saying just pay your taxes because society will improve when you do yeah. that's how collectives work uh, and we also advise on plants dogs or kids which one is best Plants. <laughs> yep, I'm solely in that category. Uh, I'm Colin and he is James. Uh, hi, hi, proud cat owner. <laughs> proud cat. Proud cat, hello. And uh, thank you to everybody for listening, for putting up with us. Sadly, James, we did not get any uh, more abuse from happy listeners this oh, week. We did lose our listeners. We did, we did. However, uh, ML got in touch and said that uh, we should branch into a travel show yeah. incorporating your name. Yeah, So, yeah, for yeah. example, uh, James Maker. James Maker is very good, very good. Uh, James Span. I don't quite get the James Span one. I think it's Japan. Oh, James Span. Okay, I get it. And then uh, Jambia, which was Ohio. your suggestion. Well, Jambia, because it covers the Gambia and also Zambia. <laughs> That's two, two, it's a twofer. It's a winner. Had you, had you thought of that beforehand or was that very much an off-the-cuff response? Uh, well, I, I got... I got I got questioned on Twitter, so I had to come up with a response <laughs> on the fly. So I was like, what? What? Oh, no. I guess some country has to have am in it. And then I thought of two. <laughs> it does. Uh, well, sadly, just after we finished our recording last week, you came up with Colin in Holland. Yeah. Which I'd I'd go to, I'd pay for that show. That sounds yeah. great. Well, I think we already planned that one. Um, and it, it breaks the rules <laughs> a wee bit, but I liked it. Yeah, no, we we have talked about um, that Amsterdam special episode, which I, I'll be honest, I don't think is going to happen. No, it's one of those false seesaw promises. We've done those since day one. We are we are so fond of those. So uh... <laughs> come on the show, Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's he's still Nigel Farage is still out there. It's still very much a possibility. Oh, still desperate for attention, yeah. Okay, right. Anyway, let's let's begin the show properly. If you want to get in touch with us, you can. Uh, Twitter, at Seesaw Parade. Gmail, seesawparade at gmail.com. Or just message us individually. That would be great. And uh, Tell you what, send me a letter. If you've got my address or you know somebody who does, send me a letter. You could do that too. We've got to do. Our, we've all got to do our parts to alleviate lockdown loneliness. And as far as with me, it would be a joke because I don't feel it. For other people, it might be it might be important. So after you send me a letter, send a letter to at least three people who you think might be getting lonely. Excellent advice. Thank you, James. Okay, uh, let's start then uh, with some coronavirus stuff because you know what? It's time to freshen up this show. <laughs> what a change! Okay, James, as off. Six o'clock today, which is Friday. Ooh. Eleven council areas in Scotland will be going into tier four, which is essentially lockdown. Big lockdown times. It is, yeah. More than two million people 
being placed on the highest band of restrictions, which means that non-essential shops, pubs, restaurants, gyms are all closing. Uh, schools will stay open and these restrictions will remain in place until December the 11th. Uh, Nicola Sturgeon said that she hated making these sorts of announcements, but it was to tackle what she said was a stubbornly high level of COVID infections. If you look at the numbers, Glasgow, the greater Glasgow city, uh, has the highest rate per 100,000 people. I believe it's about 300, which is... Very high. Pretty high indeed. And then you've got the likes of Renfrewshire, North Lanarkshire, South Lanarkshire, uh, East Wren, Stirling, South Ayrshire, West Lothian. All these areas sitting around about 160 plus per 100k people. Then you're kind of going down the tiers. Inverclyde, Fife, Dundee are in tier three. And then you've got a bunch of others in tier two. And the people in the far north who are in tier one, which must be nice. Well done. Well done. Uh, Well done, far north. James, people obviously unhappy about this but this seems to me to have been the only logical outcome from the numbers which are still as the first minister said stubbornly high yeah it was kind of we just we just plateaued there for a while so it makes sense to just add new measures to try and actually make these numbers go down rather than just stay steady because staying steady means that we're more likely to just one mistake and it pops off again if, if at least if we're seeing the numbers go down uh, we've got a bit more confidence in the system. So, yeah, after like two weeks of very steady numbers in all these areas, extra measures um, I've been putting. I, 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 my initial response was like, wait, what? Have we spiked? We hadn't. No. And I was like, well, but if we haven't spiked, why are we doing more? And then it took a little bit of thinking. I was like, oh, well, no, I guess. Yeah, we, we've been the same for two weeks. Let's do something different, which is good. This is rather than waiting until the spike and then doing a thing. It's like, well... We're on this. We're on the precipice of spiking again. So let's pull ourselves back from that. Okay, by having a lockdown. Well, let me ask then, because Christmas obviously is just around the corner, which is I know, yeah, spike time. Which is uh, yeah, going to pose a lot of questions in the coming weeks, but already has as people attempt to figure out how are we going to do Christmas. So the initial suggestion that I've been seeing is that lockdown, certainly in England, would continue. And then between maybe Christmas Eve and the 29th, there would be a relaxation of the rules and people would be able to, to hang out together. Right. That's a, that's a suggestion. But to me, that just means that January is going to be even worse because yeah, we're big, big lockdown. all these people are going to be getting together and uh, spreading the virus. And now January, which is a bad enough month as it is. Yeah, is made even worse because of a a, a further lockdown. Yeah, I know with these restrictions uh, ending on December eleventh, eleventh, that's two weeks before Christmas. Yeah, for I believe students, they're being told to self isolate before they go home, and then they can go home for Christmas. Yes. Do you think that's the best way around it? Because as we've seen before, as soon as a strict lockdown is lifted, the virus numbers go up. That's yeah. just what happens. People eventually go a bit wild. Um, I think. The general plan is probably a fair balance of what is feasible. Ideally, everybody just locks down until we're over and done, like many other countries were able to do. But I think any country that's still struggling clearly has a population that is incapable of doing that. Um, So we've got to have a a realistic lockdown when people are more likely to do it and then give them a wee bit of freedom when they're less likely to lock down successfully. 
it sucks. It sucks that that's where we're at. It's like, oh, I guess we'll allow people to feel less guilty about breaking the rules at Christmas and then just do another lockdown in January because January doesn't matter anyway or do a lockdown. Maybe they'll extend school holidays and stuff like that. Well, is it is it worth it then? Let's let's ask. Is it worth the I would say majority of people who want to have Christmas with other people and then follow follow that with a giant month long lockdown. Is that worth the few days of nah. of respite? Um, for the majority, I mean, of you're people, probably not the person to ask. Yeah, like I'm just like no. <laughs> <laughs> But it's because that's, that's the way I am. I'm not. I'm very diff. I, I've over the past few years, I have learned just how weirdly and probably brokenly my brain is programmed. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm not the person to ask for like, hey, is all this good time and emotion worth like the struggle that comes after it? Okay, well, like, well, well, let's look at it objectively then. Do, can you see from the people who would want to do this? Uh, the the pros and cons of it. I can see the pros and cons, but it's still the, one of the cons is people are going to die that didn't need to die, and it's like yeah. How if there is that on the con side, are the pros of like well we get to hand over presents in person, and maybe eat some food around a table. How is that worth it? Like none of that feels worth like some some more sixty year olds dying down the street. Because there was a local spike in the, in infections, and and I and I get that it's all meaningful, and I guess a lot of people just don't want to think about the cons. The only way I can see people being so willing and so eager to break lockdown restrictions and or have them lifted uh, at these difficult and very infectious times, yep. um, is that they don't want to think about the cons. I can't see. In my head, it doesn't make sense that there's going to be people out there that are like, yes, Christmas together is worth probably sacrificing one in ten old people. Okay. Well, let, let me just play devil's advocate here. If you look at the numbers of particularly young men who have taken their lives over the last few months in comparison to 2019 and 2018, which, again, the proportion of people, I believe suicide's the highest killer yeah, yeah, of yeah. men under 45. Yeah. Those numbers have gone up this year quite significantly. Indeed. And that's the that's the counterpoint, is that if people well, are who are particularly susceptible to these sorts of issues are having to spend Christmas alone yeah. or, you know, in their houses, that's going to have a detrimental effect on them. About, like, so it's it's a lose-lose. Well, how, what about instead of going, hey, everybody go to each other's homes, why, why don't we have some sort of a collective response of like, hey, let's push money towards some local health authority hosting like a week's worth of just everybody can come here and there will be very strict rules on on uh, on like cleanliness and hygiene and this and that and this is a place to right, gather but, if you're but lonely. But that's not going to happen. That's just not going to happen in any reality. So the question isn't are lockdowns bad? The question is why aren't we looking at these other avenues? Why isn't the government supporting people who need support? Um, when we're looking at um, suicide rates being too high already, and then them and then the them going higher. The question isn't hey why have they gone higher? The question is. Why were they so high in the first place and so so easy to to set off into a higher spike? There's a se- severe lack of support um, for individuals and for communities across this nation under this government and under 
um, the way that our economy and the way that our uh, nation works. The questions are bigger than lockdown at this point, and it would be great to have an answer right now. But we're not even exploring answers beyond like, hey, everybody just go go to visit people. Okay, let's uh, take these COVID numbers and transplant them over to the States where they've just recorded their quarter of a millionth death from COVID-19. 250,000 people in the United States have now died of the virus. Uh, connected to all this is, of course, Donald Trump's refusal to concede the US election. Mm. Uh, he's continued to make unsubstantiated claims of massive voter fraud. He's had his uh, crack team of Rudy Giuliani uh, <laughs> and Jenna Ellis out there just holding press conferences. I Quite can't believe, by the way... literally sweating hair dye. <laughs> yeah, he was sweating hair dye last night. I can't believe, James, we did not mention the whole Four Seasons escapade on the show yeah yeah go unbelievable ahead. give it a little tickle so this was the uh maybe a couple of weeks ago after the election they decided to hold a post-election hey we're going to launch this massive legal campaign uh presser and they were they, they said they were going to hold it the four seasons now if you're familiar with uh <laughs> hotel chains four seasons <laughs> is a very high-brand, luxurious hotel in uh, Philadelphia. I believe said, no, you won't. And, of course, then they went to the next best thing, which was Four Seasons Landscaping. (laughs) And uh, Rudy Giuliani was holding his presser, shouting into a microphone. (laughs) In a car park beside a dildo shop. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. In a car park next to a sex shop. It was incredible. beside a sex shop. Let's bleep bleep that foul (laughs) D word. Okay, anyway, that's uh, that was most entertaining. And uh, yeah, some of the videos, articles, memes that came off the back of that were yeah. just top-notch stuff. Very enjoyable. Yeah. Anyway. No, Gi- Giuliani, like, and granted, like, this is speculation. He seems that he's probably either forever drunk or forever hungover <laughs> based off his actions and capabilities. I think he's just lost something in that. He was Times Person of the Year 20 years ago because of his response to 9-11. In 1984, he was the lawyer who introduced the RICO Act, which means that he could and did prosecute, I believe, 20 members of the mafia under the same law. Something to do with that. Anyway, this landmark ruling, which came from someone who was really switched on and very good at his job, and now he's shouting in car parks across from sex shops and his hair dye is running down his face on TV. Like he, at one point, I saw this video of it. He blew his nose. Oh, I saw this. Folded his handkerchief with the nose blowy on the outside and then proceeded to wipe his hands and pat his forehead with what I'm assuming is an, an entire nose's worth of, of gunk. Like, yep. the guy is gone. It was disgusting. Anyway, that's beside the point. This week in, uh, this week in US politics, a lot's happened, but let's just go with the headlines to start with. Donald Trump fired another top official. This time it was uh, Chris Krebs for what the president said was uh, highly inaccurate remarks Mm. on the vote integrity. This was something that we talked about last week when election officials said the vote was the most secure in US history and Trump then fired the guy who basically wrote the statement. So that's completely normal behaviour. Definitely, he's not just trying to get rid of anybody who is anti-Trump and 
and even vaguely hinting that they are pro anybody else or anything else. So in this case, it is just pro democracy. Yeah. Um, and it's not going to be a huge big obstacle for uh, Biden as he comes in. Well, to to take over over the next few months. Let let me ask because we we talked about this last week. The amount of people that Trump has fired and replaced with people who are pro-Trump, and there is speculation that before Trump leaves the office in January, uh, CIA, CIA director Gina Haspel and the director of the FBI Christopher Wray would also be in line for the infamous "You're fired" catchphrase. Yeah. Why? Is he doing this? Is this simply to make life more difficult for Biden? I, at this point, it, it could just be to slow everybody down so he can like abscond to Russia and live in a bunker for the rest of his days without getting like arrested at the airport on the way out. I, I, I genuinely don't know what the goal of him or the people who are still advising him to do all of these things is, aside from destabilization. Because... I don't see how anybody's making money from this right now. Yep. I don't see how anybody's going to make money from this. And it's usually money when it comes to Trump and his cronies. So destabilization, it, it will just make the transition harder. Then they can blame Biden for all that trouble. And the voter base will believe them because that's how it works. They'll blame Biden for the massive amounts of deficit that have um that have, that have occurred that has occurred over the trumpet admin and yep. that he will inherit and suddenly the deficit will matter again as soon as it's the dems in charge the republican way is just make things bad and then watch the dems fix it but blame the democrats for why for it being bad in the first place while while they're the opposition so so it's not this point I'm about to make is not so much about the destabilization of the US government, but but more about the legal challenges, which have continued to fail this week. Oh, yeah. Um, they've had a successful one. They applied for a recount, I should say, in Wisconsin, a partial recount in Wisconsin, which was granted. They had a recount in Georgia, which as of the last couple of hours has been confirmed that Biden did indeed win, as, wow, yeah. as expected. But of course, the uh, pro-Trump team were saying, well, we knew it was going to turn out like this because they counted all the illegal ballots. So therefore, we actually won. Yeah, there's a bunch of fake ones. Despite not proving any evidence whatsoever. And just at this point here, I should say that uh, they've begun to turn on Fox News as well. Have you been seeing this? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Fox News is the fake news media as, as well now. Yeah, so, so after Fox were predicting Biden victories on election night... And a lot of Trump supporters were very angry that Fox were doing this. Oh, yeah. What we've seen in the last 24 hours is one of their most uh, prominent hosts, Tucker Carlson, who came out to analyze this Rudy Giuliani <laughs> diatribe, this press conference, which yeah, went on for an yeah. hour and a half, and again, provided no information, no evidence whatsoever. And Tucker Carlson, yeah, yeah. on his show, said as much. He said, well, hold on a second here. What evidence is there? There isn't any. And of yeah. course, now that has led like, to a massive backlash against yeah. him and against Fox for being anti-Trump, which is, I, again, I'm not surprised by it anymore. If you've, if you've lost Tucker, you've really lost at that point. If, oh, yeah. if Tucker's like got more of a backbone. Um, but even beyond that, we're seeing like Trump, there's, there's, we found out that Trump phone some people to actually try and engage in election interference. He, he made did. two calls that are uh, genuinely illegal. Um, and Lindsey Graham also 
is being accused of that level of fraud, corruption, that levels of stuff. So once again, the, the Republicans tried their very best to make the vote as bad and as dysfunctional as possible. And then they were accusing the Democrats of doing so. And then they started accusing the Democrats of all sorts of fraud. And it turns out that also was projection. And it was the Republicans that were doing the fraud as well. Um, we'll see We'll see if any of the accusations that are being made uh, are going to come out to be true. But so far, there are zero for however many. Yeah, it's it's absolutely zero for hundreds at this point. Just just on that point, sorry, James, just you made a, a point there that their latest play and the suggestion is that Trump, once the electors who are the ones who actually go, uh, I want to say, to Washington and put in the votes for their states, you know, the whole electoral college thing. Yeah. Trump has apparently been wanting the states in which Biden won. He wants the uh, legislators in those states to pick pro-Trump voters to then go to Washington. And despite the fact that those particular states have voted for Biden, he wants them to actually put their votes for Trump. Which yeah, is cause, cause, yeah. which is clear as day election interference. I don't understand why. I mean, he's not done anything yet, but it's enough that clearly it has been discussed. Like he's actually phoned these people yeah. to see if it's a possibility. Yeah, it is interference. However, again, it's just another weakness of the U.S. system, wherein the electors who are represent their states they actually don't don't legally have to vote the same way as their state did. Yeah. Each elector can just choose to flip. Or vote for anybody, or protest vote, or vote vote for nobody. Is is really the system is very questionable. But we already knew that. What the the ultimate goal for Trump, by the way, and it's the same thing we said four year ago or thereabouts when he finally won and he didn't ever mean to, is to set up his own media empire. Right. That's why they've taken this opportunity to turn to turn on Fox and to call Fox the fake news media. And they're, they're trying to make almost all the media fake news so that Trump can step in and be like, I am the real news, and then make free money forever because he is so in debt. This is the one successful play he can still make. So do you imagine then a, a Trump news network in which he yeah, has a yeah. primetime slot and just spends his family it does. ranting at Biden or whoever is the president for the next X number of years. He, his family, and all the rest of the profiteers, they want to set up this media media um, empire. So TV, online, all the rest. Um, so we're seeing certain people within the like YouTube journalism level still <laughs> just holding on desperately to, to, to Trump's like trouser cuffs. Yep. Um, hoping that he'll drag them into that empire. So you got your Steven Crowders and stuff like that who are still just pushing out the Trump conspiracy theories, desperately wanting this this play to, to turn out well. Right, James, let's uh, move to something lighter. Tell me what you've been watching this week because I have a, a couple of things on my list here. I have seen... A movie. Hey, nice. I, I watched Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Excellent. Okay, I'm very excited to hear what you thought of this then. Go. Go. All right. Oh, okay, so let me start off. One of my favorite things about this film, I don't need to introduce it, you all know what it is, it was the music. I feel like the music really balanced the cinematic hero stuff that we're used to in superhero films with yep. um, more Miles character-esque actual soundtrack songs. 
um, sometimes blending the two together with uh, dragging motifs from the different like hero tracks and Miles's track from the from the orchestral stuff and just putting them into um, the songs, the music that they pull out from right, real life. The music was incredible. And the motifs were simple, but very noticeable. It, it didn't take me long to notice the three notes that represent Spider-Man or the three notes that represent Miles' Miles's story. Uh-huh. Um, the rest of the sound design was also fantastic. And um, it's kind of weird to start off in an uh, animated film review talking about sound so much, but it was so good. Um, everything felt well-placed, well-balanced, tactile. Uh, and the design choices for... In particular, the Prowler, his his like siren, is incredible. They, the, the way they introduce, like, let's talk about the Prowler. Okay, one of the best villains in recent superhero film. Why? Just because of that general the design, excellent. How he ties into the story, excellent. Motif, the sound, excellent. Um, just the 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 way that it's hinted that he is what. Miles could become one day if it wasn't for the events of this story. Okay, there's so there's a lot of depth to it that I wasn't expecting in an animated film, especially from one of the side characters because he's not really the main villain. He's like the B villain, but he was he was the best villain. Yes, um, in the thing with loads of depth, and the other villains too. They had they had actual depth as well. Um, we actually got to understand a very human motivation for why the big guy is doing the massive bad thing. The big guy being Kingpin, one of the most iconic Spider-Man villains. Yeah, Kingpin doing... Oh, yeah. Kingpin, I was just being generic. Usually the big guy is just like, I'm going to destroy the world because I'm the big guy. This time it was like... I, I'm evil because I'm evil. Yeah, this time it was, I'm the big guy, but I've got a heart that is broken and I'm going to try and fix it with like really bad means because all I know is bad. Yeah. So the story was way better than we deserved with far better characters than we deserved, even with the Spider-Mens all coming in and working together. They all had their individual like art styles, music styles, animation they styles, did. fighting styles, all the rest really well handled. So while there was sometimes a lack of depth, or I guess because it was an animated targeted to younger audience film, shorter than, uh, than we're used to, there was some... Uh, rushed story elements some that lacked depth overall the story was way better than i was expecting and and uh, way better than we deserved i i am i'm just desperate for more of this universe it's so cool well you're gonna get more of it there is a sequel in the works it was just it was just mind-blowing well done and the way they handled everything was so nice i loved it okay well sticking with marvel but going from the animated to the well cgi I watched, or rather myself and Graham watched, Age of Ultron, oh. because I have resumed my Marvel watch-along. Huzzah! And, uh, and he's actually watching it for the first time, which is very interesting, to see it from his perspective. However, I have seen Age of Ultron now, oh, I'd say half a dozen times, probably. Oh, dear. And it just doesn't really work. <laughs> There's a few reasons for this. The first yeah. one, let me start with the pros. I think James Spader, his vocal performance as Ultron is brilliant. I think he's he's absolutely nailed what he wants this character to be. Mm-hmm. But the problems with the story are inherently that the villain himself is entirely CGI. And as we've seen from other kind of movies, you just do not get the same level of uh, commitment, realism, emotional heart when everybody there... Is is just a robot of of shiny yeah. shininess and and CGI, which is unconvincing at the best of times. Yeah. So 
that definitely hurts it. And then there's a whole host of other issues, uh, plot lines which aren't explained, a movie which is two and a half hours long, which, again, because they've had to shorten it down even to two and a half hours, yeah. you've missed out some key explanations and a lot of exposition is given in a short amount of time, which doesn't really make sense. Uh, Joss Whedon's writing is just not quite there in this one. With the initial Avengers, the first Avengers movie, yeah, it's sharp, it's witty, it's funny, whereas this one, he's just trying too hard. Yes, indeed. And there's lines which just aren't funny. They're meant to be funny and they aren't. And it happens more often than... There's so many more misses than hits. And that's... It's noticeable in comparison to how just how good and how enjoyable the first Avengers movie is. And also this movie fails the Bechdel test because there is a grand total of two women in the entire movie, so... Yeah. <sighs> It's it's just very disappointing. And I know that they up their game as the rest of this uh, monolith rolls on, but this is this is a low point. Yeah. It's just not a very good movie and it's far too long. Yeah. I, like one thing having watched a good comic book film in Into the Spider-Verse, I think a big thing that a lot of the other ones are lacking, and we talked about it a lot to be fair, is just it does they none of them have style. None of them have like a a visual icon or a visual theme whereas Into the Spider-Verse relies heavily on its comic book side with its style of printing and all the different animation styles and such care and attention to detail all the uh, all the other superhero films we're seeing are just like hey brown brown a wee bit of blue and red for the heroes some some fighting and then oh like more brown and hey how about this how do you like gray how about gray and how about nighttime do you like nighttime and none of them are stylish. So, well, you, not all, but you, you've you've segued nicely into my second movie, which is also very Marvel, big which I've realised again yeah. that if you just watch kind of Marvel films in a row, they all become this one homogenous glob. So, Ant Man, which I would say is it's a palate Indeed. cleanser, in that you have Paul Rudd as the very very likable lead character. Michael Douglas, who's excellent, yeah, and yeah. the bad guy in this movie, Corey Stoll from House of Cards, yeah, who is, yeah. who is the classic, he's the total opposite of what you've just described from in the Spider-Verse, in that he's evil because he's evil, <laughs> and he maniacally laughs a lot to show he's evil, and that's it. <laughs> Greed, I guess. So there's this one has a little bit more visual style. If you recall, uh, we would have talked about this, actually, back in the early days of Seesaw Parade. Edgar Wright yes. from Hot Fuzz and Drive, Baby Driver, I should say, Baby Driver fame, was meant to be directing this movie. It was so exciting. And then they kicked him off it. Yeah. I'm, I can't really recall why, but clearly he was going Just, for something that wasn't Marvel. Yeah, it wasn't Marvel enough for sure. So what you're left with is Brad Payton, who does a fine job, but the Ant-Man kind of, everything done at ant size... It's just like it's it's fine, yeah. But it's not like a whoa, that's incredible! I can't believe I've just seen that. Yeah, exactly. Which, what, which is what some of in the Spider Verse does. Like it's just sensationally animated or drawn, whatever that is. Ant Man does not have that. Yeah, and there's there's nothing. And whilst it tells like a fun story, and uh, Luis Pena is brilliant as the comic foil in this in this film, it's just there. It's just a movie that exists 
for you know it's yeah. it's fun for the hundred minutes and then you go on with your life. It's not exactly, I, and I don't think it, I don't think it should be anything more than that. I don't think it should be aspiring to be the next Martin Scorsese, but it could have been so much better than it is. And it's just yeah. and for what it is, it's fine. Yeah. It's okay. But yeah, when you're looking at Marvel, even some of these films that do have more style. So I'm thinking along the lines of Ragnarok, Black Panther. Even even that just is bland in comparison to to Into the Spider-Verse. Yeah. And, and is weak in comparison to Into the Spider-Verse. I think the only reason we liked it so much is because it was just not a copy-paste for once. Whereas now, looking back at it, I'm like, well, actually, there was loads of story weakness, loads of rushed elements, well, a lot of brown and grey. I'm, I'm about to get to Thor Ragnarok and this, I think I'm in phase three now of the four Marvel phases. Again. And so I agree... Yeah, basically entirely, in that they actually let the director, who was Taika Waititi, bring some fresh thinking into this yeah. this formula. Because that's what it is, it's from, a formula. Yeah, they learned from Guardians of the Galaxy being successful, but then they immediately made that a formula too. Like, <laughs> it's I don't know. Okay, but, anyway, James, I know you've got one more thing on your, your list before we move on. I have finished the June trilogy. As in the books? The books, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let me ask first of all: Is it quite heavy going stuff? I wouldn't describe it as heavy going. It's definitely a rule breaking form of writing. Like, I a lot of the time when I was reading it, I was just a bit side, like, like a bit sidetracked or a bit distracted by the the way it was written. Okay. Um, however. I'm really glad I read this. And it, it's one of those times where you've got a book or a trilogy or a series on your list of things to read one day and you never really get around to it. And then they eventually release a film and you're like, I want to read it before it gets spoiled by the film. So I read it really fast, read the whole thing. I don't know how they're going to make the film work. Okay, why? The concepts of the story are, are huge. There's just there's a lot of things to try and represent within the story that I don't know how you tell it visually without inner monologues or narration or stuff to describe what is actually going on there's there's like lots of there's lots of this is very like vision vision based as in like seeing things um both real and unreal blending together um people foreseeing things in the like visualizing different paths of the future and trying to pick their path and there's so much depth into exploring those paths and I'm like but we're just we're just listening to somebody's head for like three pages right here how do you do that in a film uh, there's loads of characters and almost every single one of them is just disposable and that's not a spoiler because they are and it, it could be anybody you have fun watching these films just to stop you there the new June film which I do think was attempted in the 80s I do think it was attempted yeah, in the 80s. No, yeah. This new one by Denis Villeneuve, if you look at the cast list, the cast is enormous and there's so yeah. many big names in there that surely it's inevitable that half of them are going to get killed off. Yeah, exactly. And and the really weird thing is that Herbert, I think, Frank, is it Herbert? No, it's not. I don't know. The writer. That sounds familiar. Um, I've just forgotten the name. I, the, I, I, I had it. Um, he he has so many really cool character names and then it's just like that one's dead by the way I'm like but I was invested in them as soon as you introduced them because their name was so mysterious and cool like Jambia uh, anyway anyway the book 
or the books speak to so many things like colonialism, like politics, like hero worship, uh, loads of religion and stuff like that and how all those things tie together. So like r- empire and religion and the overlap and how that's bad or and how people take advantage of it. It asks really meaningful questions about all of those things uh, uh, and more. It makes statements on them too, like really true statements that were, I'm sure, true at the time of writing, but have only become more true uh, since then. One example of that is that one of the main plot points are overarching the whole trilogy is the uh, evolution of a planet. So human-driven ecological change. Okay. And what that, how to do it, and also how they begin to regret doing it, I guess, like the side effects that weren't seen, which when this book was written or when these books were written, we were kind of getting into that, like trying to stop the spread of sand dunes in America and trying to trying to do this and that and introducing species here and there to try and kill off species that we didn't like. And eventually we realized, wait, hold on, the species we introduced was really invasive and it's awful now. Let's get rid of it. So at the time of writing, we hadn't learned that lesson for real. And now we have. And the book's like, yeah, told you. Um, Because we're trying to get rid of so many invasive species of like plant or animal everywhere. And this book really speaks to like how driving the, the change of a planet for the benefit of the people there will actually probably be real bad if you don't do it right. Um, it's really hard to summarize the book. So I'm going to give it, a, I loved it on the review side. And I'm going to say there's an absolutely valid reason its fan base is so rabid and it's such a cult because um, I can't stop thinking about the story what happened in it. Okay. I can't stop thinking about the what ifs of trying to figure out, well, if this character did something different in book one, how would have that affected the ending of book three and the ongoing? Because there's more than three. And I can't stop headcanoning. This really is an invasive <laughs> book. Right. In the same way. And I don't want to get rid of that invas- that invasion. Like, it's really, really cool. Interesting. Um, and just the idea that was written so, like, quite a long time ago now and just how accurately it, it predicted some things or how accurately it portrayed some things is is so, so, so respectable. I, I, I love it. Okay. Very impressed. Well, segueing beautifully on from the June movie adaptation to the world of movies, uh-huh. as you may recall, a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that June was meant to be coming out in December, but it's been pushed back by a year and one of the movies which has been moved about maybe three or four times yeah, quite is the Wonder Woman sequel, which is Wonder Woman 1984. The news as of yesterday is that Wonder Woman has a release date. Yeah. And it's December 25th on HBO Max, which is the on-demand streaming service in the States. Yeah. So what's going to happen is on December 25th in the States... It will be available to watch on this channel. I'm unsure if you have to pay for it, a la Disney Plus. And also, I, I, th- I don't. Oh yeah. It will be. It will be showing in theaters which are still open. So it's it's a mix of the two. Yeah. It would just be like, hey, you can have it. Whereas yeah. in the UK, and again, I'm not sure how this is going to work with current legislation. It's meant to be coming out on December 16th, which is nine days before. Yeah. I don't think it's on a streaming service. I think it's just in cinemas. However, because there are basically no cinemas open right now, I don't know how that's going to work either. Yeah. 
James, what do you think of this? Because this is the this is the headline here is that the film is coming out on streaming services. Now, this is something which, if you remember the the initial film in 2017, made more than $800 million at the worldwide yeah. box office. It's not going to do the same no. on HBO Max. So why? No, and it was a $200 million budget. Exactly. Um, so, so tell me, what's what's the thinking behind this? I, maybe they're just trying to release it, make their money back if they can. Maybe they've agreed to a deal that that does make their money back. Um, and then they, it, it lets them continue to make more stuff without being held back by not releasing this thing that probably ties into future projects um, so they can drive more stuff to streaming and see if they can do streaming until films getting released uh, in the normal way is sustainable again. Like, it feels like a big risk, but less of a risk than only doing theatres at this point. Okay, well, just to, to add some more information here, the decision was that of Time Warners, who is the owner of HBO Max, because they want to bring more customers yeah. to the streaming service, which is considerably pricier than everything else. It's $16 a month for HBO oof, Max. Oof, oof, oof. And so he's, the, the CEO, I should say, Jason Killer, has been laying out his expectations, saying that uh, around 4 million people watched the initial Wonder Woman in the US on opening day. And he's he's then saying that, well, if that was possible in 2017, why can't it happen <laughs> on HBO Max on Christmas Day this year? I mean, and that he's excited to find out. I mean, yeah, you can buy one month's worth of it for the price of less than a family's worth of tickets. Yep. So I don't see why they shouldn't be able to sell it. But I guess it's harder to market for streaming stuff. Like, I don't know. It's re- like it's interesting. This could be the future of 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 cinemas, like a limited theater experience. But mostly, people just want to watch it at home. We've spoken about that before. Um, and this could be one of the big tests: is that are are we ready for that as a society yet? Is this a sustainable thing to do? Not that it actually matters, but <laughs> it, okay. in terms of entertainment, this is big news. Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested to see how that plays out. Okay, one more bit of entertainment news before we go and slaughter the UK government for what's been happening over the last seven days. Metaphorically. Uh, Zack Snyder has, yes, metaphorically. I promise. <laughs> Zack Snyder has released a uh, a new image of his villain <laughs> Steppenwolf from his reimagined Justice League. So for anyone who's catching up, this was the 2016 uh, flop Justice League, which was reuniting Superman, Batman, Aquaman, The Flash, yeah, Wonder yeah. Woman, and Cyborg. Or uniting, in, Oh, yeah, sorry, yes, uniting. Uh, in an Avengers-esque uh, escapade. However, yeah, it, none of the build-up. <laughs> yeah, it did not do well, and uh, <laughs> fans have been longing for this... Snyder cut, which apparently is also being released in black and white, a la um, Mad Max. Yeah. So this look at Steppenwolf, who I remember absolutely laying into when this movie came out in the in the first place. What they have looked to do here with this entirely CGI villain is just make him more shiny. Just make him more complicated. I they've, don't know. They've just added like rows of cutlery to his to himself. I don't know what's happening. It looks really bad. It looks really bad. It just it just looks even more pretend. I don't, uh, I don't know why this is the image you would choose to release. Uh, like, why not release something that looks good? 
just for once. Well, well, again, I'm going to ask, what's the thinking behind this? Because obviously this image has been released as, oh, hey, look what we've done to Steppenwolf. We've given him a bit of an upgrade because if you recall... Justice League was rushed out with last minute changes. Yeah, Henry yeah. Cavill had to do reshoots even though yeah, he had a moustache and they yeah. had to CGI out his moustache. <laughs> and this Steppenwolf character in the movie which was released in 2016 looked unfinished. So clearly this is their finished version and it just, it still looks terrible. Yep. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the overall goal is. They're not going to make money out of the re, the repolish. Um, I was kind of excited for the repolish because I thought, well, Snyder, sometimes he's got very interesting visual ideas that do need time and money, and they didn't have that. But I'm now that I'm seeing, the more they talk about it, the less convinced I am about it. It, it, it looks like they might not understand what makes a, these films good, and they're treating it like it's a work of art in a way that it isn't, and they should be treating it like it's a work of spectacle rather than a work of art. Right. Um, I mean, just just on a, a completely logical like black level, black and white is just the dumbest thing I heard. Yeah, I completely agree. But on a completely logical level, of all the issues that Steppenwolf had as a CGI character, being shiny, yeah, visual complexity was not it. It was not. That was not the problem. How about take was... away all the complexity and just make him a little bit of a fierce-looking being? Yep. Rather than this like hunk of metal that has gone through a grinder, <laughs> it's it's crazy. And I think it's because they don't understand what people want. And maybe they're listening to the fan base too much because the fans are like, we want this. And then they go, okay. Whereas they should just like try and make the thing good. I don't know. It's, it's this, whole, this whole project is confusing and I'm losing enthusiasm for the remake as time goes on. As much as sometimes a director's cut does save a film, it might not, it might not for this one. James, time is ticking away, but we still have time to lay into this UK government because lots of things have been happening under Boris Johnson's watch over the last seven days. In the last hour or so, the Prime Minister's advisor on the ministerial code has quit (laughs) after the Prime Minister decided to back the Home Secretary Priti Patel over the bullying inquiry. So if you recall, this has been going on for a little while, Uh, the Standards Chief Sir Alex Allen had found that Miss Patel had broken ministerial codes, uh, which governs their behaviour, essentially saying that she was bullying people even if she was unaware of it, which is beyond my comprehension. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, let's get it clear. Bullying to the point where people lost their jobs or careers. Like, this was yep. this was bad. Not just, like, she made fun of somebody a couple of times. So, after these uh, findings were published, the Prime Minister rejected them. Basically, Saying yes. he did not think that Miss Patel was a bully <laughs> and that he had full confidence in her and uh, Sir Alex has now resigned. Yeah. So, James, just, uh, just on this point before we, we move on, <sighs> What do you make of all this? Well, unsurprisingly, the Tory line is that it's okay to to break code if you didn't intend to do it, and you say, "I'm sorry if you feel like I did." But that's that's not a defence. Like, if I was bullying someone, I said, "Oh, sorry, I didn't know I was doing yeah. it." That doesn't doesn't mean yeah, you get off that, with that's it. That's exactly the level of apology we can expect from people who don't intend to change their actions. And that's the kind of apology that needs to be followed up with a now let's prosecute this stuff, right? If 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 you if somebody came to you and apologized to you by being like, hey, 
I'm sorry you feel like I hurt you, but I didn't actually mean to. And they don't actually change their actions. It wouldn't be a surprise if they came to you and they said, hey, I'm sorry, my actions were, were bad and I will change them. That's what you want. The Tories are incapable of that kind of apology. They are incapable of taking the blame when all they do is mess things up, so it seems. There's so much going on that you'd think would be the end of several careers, but all it is is the end of careers of their advisors or the careers of yeah. the people in the firing line. And it's never the people who are making the mistakes that are held accountable at all. This isn't a surprise. There, there is yet to be, up until Pretty Patel, there was yet to be a case where a minister who had broken ministerial code uh, was not then forced to resign or then handed yeah. in their resignation. This is a first. Yeah. And it's the prime minister going against what his own advisor into this uh, whole matter but said. Not surprising. Genuinely, we've got the most corrupt leadership the nation has seen, as far as I'm aware. Unless there are stories of old that I have not Wikipedia'd hard enough, we, have, <laughs> we are reaching insane levels. The Boris and co have been sitting on this report for so long, knowing that they were going to do this. They were going to absolve and and infuriate the people and infuriate the media. They were going to steal the headlines when they responded to the report that they've been sat on for months. And okay. it just so happens that they responded to it now, which is weird considering that right now the media is finally publishing more and more stories on the general levels of corruption and cronyism within our COVID response from the Tories. Correct. Yeah. So let's then... I think it might be a distraction technique. Okay. Well, that's interesting. But yeah, let's uh, let's segue on to the uh, news that, as you say, James, the media have been uncovering more and more recently, which is that the Tories have been making their friends rich during the procurement of protective garments for the NHS and as the uh, COVID response has been rolled out. So the headline from a couple of days ago was that a Spanish businessman who had acted as a go-between getting these masks and gloves uh, for the UK government was paid £21 million in UK taxpayer cash. For chatting to some mates. Yeah, he had been in line for a further £20 Uh, if the the further phase had gone through. James, this is obscene. Who who is getting... Sorry, I don't need to say who because I know who it was. Why is is anybody being paid £21 million for being a go-between? That's just... It's immoral in every stretch of the imagination. But it's just one of the countless, and I'm assuming not yet to be properly counted instances of the Tory government taking taxpayer money and just putting it in people's pockets for their friendship or for a couple of emails or for starting up a new business that claims to do stuff that it doesn't and then getting paid to try and do it for the first time ever. You know, so long as you've got a connection to somebody high up in the Tories who hasn't been pushed out of the party by the cull that uh, um, Boris did do, which is something that the Tories did and the Labour Party did not do. Um, If you're their friend of anybody in that party, you're going to make money by just asking for it at this point, or so it seems. There is report after report, website after website, documenting the ties between lobbyists and firms who are making money from the the government and family members 
off businesses who are making money from the government and that family members tie to somebody within the government. Yeah, um, I, I believe, sorry, just to, at this point, there was analysis done by the UK's Department of Health and Social Care, which found that 13 of the 18 contracts that had been handed out that they'd investigated over the course of the uh, response to the pandemic had been given to companies which had been set up in the last six months and in which there was no competition. Yeah. So literally just people who are friends and who knew these people who were giving the, the handing the deals out being given obscene amounts of money. Yeah. So the Conservatives, Boris and all his pals, when they eventually did panic about coronavirus after saying it was a non-issue for months, they panicked. They didn't turn to the professionals. They didn't turn to the, the healthcare sector. They didn't turn to anybody except their business friends and said, hey, what can you do for us and how much money do you need to do it? And then their friends in different businesses said, here's what we can do. And they just lied. There, there's instances of, of uh, companies saying we can produce this many th of this item and then they haven't produced any to this day. Stuff like that. But we're pushing billions of, of taxpayer money towards these people because the conservatives couldn't ask the experts. All they could do was think of well, I guess money is the solution and we should give it to our friends. We, we've set up an entire uh, test and trace system where all of the testing is done by private, well, a huge amount of the testing is done by private centralized firms yep. in brand new labs with brand new equipment where we could have just done it in all of the hospitals and universities that we already had made, you know, through having an entire history as a nation. But instead we pushed money towards an ineffective way of doing it where we could have just done it already with the established means. I feel like a broken record here, James, because we've discussed issues like this for months, maybe years, oh, yeah. but certainly more so in, in recent times. Is, this, is there any punishment or uh, reprimand or anything that's going to follow any of this? Because otherwise, what I believe we're going to see is that this will continue to happen again and again, and then when the next election comes around, the Tories will st will still be in government. We've got to rely on the, the I guess the media to keep the accountability flowing. We've got to rely on legal the legal side to find ways to bring like add justice to the people of Britain because okay we are we and our money have been sacrificed for cronyism. And if you want one of my favorite highlights of this new discoveries level of uh, unveiling the crony the cronyism is an app by um, is it Sophie Hill if I remember the name um, she, she she made a, a map of the cronyism of the government within the response to the pandemic and it is called my little crony um, I can't <laughs> I can't give you a link but if you google like Sophie Hill my little crony you might find her website where you can see uh, a not exhaustive but pretty substantial map of the links between the government, lobbyists, families, businesses that give you an idea of this corruption that is being enabled. Terrific. And I don't think there's going to be accountability. I don't think things will change uh, because anybody who comes to power wants to stay there um, in, unless we see a serious coalition uh, between the, all the opposition parties that actually have some decency in them and they, they get a better voting system in and they get better laws of oversight for corruption and stuff like that.
But under the Conservatives, no. Okay, one final story because we are out of time. Uh, Boris Johnson also this week has called Scottish devolution a disaster. He was telling a virtual meeting of Conservative MPs in the north of England uh, that uh, devolution had been a disaster and also reportedly described it as Tony Blair's biggest mistake. And, yeah. you know, not not the illegal war that he uh, he waged. <laughs> so the SNP and Labour have both criticised the Prime Minister. Rightly. And um, in response, Community Secretary Robert Jenrick said Mr Johnson had always supported devolution. Yeah. So he liked why, it James, when he was Mayor of London. So why, James, is he calling Scottish devolution a disaster? Oh, what he means is that the SNP have have taken control of the devolution and have used their evil means to manipulate the entirety of the population to keep voting for them and to keep enacting democracy. And he just doesn't like the fact that Scotland is voting for its own stuff. There is no... The SNP have manipulated the system. The SNP got voted. There is no... A secret organization that is controlling things. There is just a proportionally representative democratic <laughs> process in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And it isn't ending up with a bunch of Tory lights. And he's upset by that. And he just he doesn't have power and he's upset by that. This is this he's just power hungry. He doesn't like when he's got a lack of control somewhere. Um and he's using his words poorly, as we've come to expect from him, because it turns out that calling Boris Johnson prime ministerial might have been a lie the whole time. <laughs> but you know what? That's what all the media were telling us he was. Indeed. Okay, James, time is well and truly up. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you for all your contributions. James, you're you're very insightful and knowledgeable <laughs> and clever. <laughs> Nah, I just know that Boris is dumb. Indeed Boris he is. is dumb. Easy peasy. Well, if you think anything that we said was dumb, please do tell us. Twitter, yeah, yeah, Gmail, yeah, in person. And uh, I'll see you next week, James. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Bye for now. We'll have to start our filming of Jambia. <laughs> Off we go.